0: You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylists, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at Stylists.com. Hi, and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylists. I'm your host, Amelia Miranda-Williams, U.S. Editor from Stylists' New York office. Today, we're analyzing fun. Anyone having it right now? Is it possible to have fun during a pandemic? And perhaps most important of all, is making sourdough really fun? Joining me to discuss these questions today is Dr. Travis Oh, a marketing professor at New York Yeshiva University. Dr. Oh's specialty is consumer behavior and psychology, and his doctoral thesis from Columbia University focused on the consumer psychology of fun. And from Stylus, we have our very own Elspeth Taylor, Assistant Editor for Consumer Lifestyle and Technology. So thank you both so much for joining us today. And let's just jump in with the big question, Travis. What is fun? You know, as a consumer psychologist, how do you define fun? And what emotional needs do you look for to say that an experience meets the criteria of fun?
1: Right. So that's a great question and happy to be here talking about what I have been studying for the past, I guess, five, six years. And fun is a very elusive phenomenon or elusive term or notion that has been difficult to define, actually, and hence pushed me to come up with this research. We see fun not necessarily as an emotion per se, but closer to a specific type of pleasurable experience that has you know both an emotional component to it which is similar to all these positive emotions but what we were really interested in was these psychological or mental components uh, that contribute to what fun is And based on what I've seen with all the data that have been collected, is that fun is a pleasurable experience that is characterized by these two major psychological pillars that I call hedonic engagement and a sense of liberation. And and these two combined contribute to defining an experience as fun for us. Obviously
0: hedonic liberation, sense of fun sort of being spontaneous, that's obviously something we're not having during the pandemic. But why in particular? I mean, why do you think fun is so hard to come by right now?
1: It's an excellent question. And it's because liberation really requires a release from something. And and what we've seen, fun has really emerged in the 18th to 19th century, end of 19th century, when you know the, the society was going through industrial revolution, the hours of work were increasing, standardized education was happening. And so people really wanted some counterweight to uh, what you could call the drudgeries of life. And uh, we're going through a major drudgery of life It's very historical events of, of having going through this pandemic. And people find their release from many different sources. It could be going to usually going to the pub, going to the amusement park, or you know, really letting that release happen through these consumption experiences. Yet we are very much confined. On top of that, we really find engagement and release from social interaction. And we are very much limited in how we experience things with others. There's a lot of limitations. And so even if you're doing something that you, that you find engaging and that's something you like, it's not as liberating as before because of all these restrictions that are, of course, very important to get over this pandemic. Nevertheless, it does cut down on how we experience fun.
0: Now, Elspeth, in your report on fun, you argue that brands need to distinguish between leisure activities and true fun. Now, how do you define the difference between these two?
2: Well, if you're to Google things to do for fun in lockdown, you're faced with over 333 million results. And consumers were almost overwhelmed with new activities during the first lockdown, in particular. And Stylus reported on the myriad of brands pivoting to create at-home amusement, from cook-alongs to jigsaws to accessing on-demand theater shows. And these are all really great examples of how consumers can spend their time. But the activities don't necessarily meet the psychological needs of fun, as Travis explained, and nor are they necessarily designed to. Brands may not be considering the psychological needs of fun and rather just creating an initiative with the hope that it resonates with consumers. So we can see how brands need to revisit their understanding of what fun is and reevaluate the activities that they are providing as a potential vessel for fun. And there's also a slight disconnect for consumers between fun and activities that help them pass the time. As Travis alerted me to the fact, if you look at Google Trends data, The search term, things to do for fun, saw a five-year low in April 2020, which was at the point when most of the globe was in some form of lockdown and in dire need of entertainment. Perhaps consumers at that time, with all the mental stresses going on with this unknown pandemic, maybe they didn't feel that fun was available to them. But it also shows that fewer consumers were actively looking for this mercurial fun, despite the fact that there were these 333 million articles telling them exactly how to find it.
0: Now, obviously, we were given so many choices, as you mentioned, at the beginning of the pandemic for what fun could be. But, you know, there's so many different people. Do we all really experience fun in the same way? I mean, should we all just try to be going to nightclubs or amusement parks post-pandemic to get fun? Or are there other ways that we can find it?
1: What we find is that there are so many activities and experiences that people or consumers engage in to have fun. But the basis, the psychological experience, we we find that our theory explains most of these different activities. And so it's very idiosyncratic or individualistic. So if you find that a certain experience or activity is engaging and liberating for you. And then you should, by all means, go for it. And it, one of the important things is not to be so self-conscious. So whatever the others are doing, just make sure that you're letting loose and that all the stress you may have amassed from this pandemic, that you can somehow release that through that your own individual way that makes you feel most comfortable letting loose. Just to add to
2: that, the New York Times uploaded a a form onto their site for readers to fill out and record what things they are excited to do post-pandemic and what they're looking forward to. And I think that's a really interesting exercise for and news outlet to do but also brands they can easily adopt this method and truly interrogate what experience their consumers are anticipating looking for hoping for and in that way they can understand the different wildly different understandings of fun that their consumers have and gather that information and plan initiatives accordingly so when we are allowed to out and seeing people, what are the type of activities and experiences and products that people are really wanting at that time.
0: Fascinating. And so I want to backtrack for a moment because I'm really, you know, you mentioned this idea of liberation and having fun, but then you also talked about the idea of how fun has developed separately from leisure. I mean, how have we seen what activities that people are engaging with change over the course of, you know, the concept of fun being something that we all engage with to look for this release?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very difficult and uh, very rich literature that is out there on leisure. I think the major change was that as fun was emerging, leisure was when you had a lot of, in a way, free time, when there was less industrial pressure. So what are you going to do with all this free time you have? Let's develop my skill to learn a music instrument. Or let's uh, go out and, and write poems and share our poetry with one another. However, fun was more trivial and more transient in a way. You had long hours of work. In fact, before all the laws came out, we had people working for 16 hours a day, 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds going to factories and and working long hours. And fun was really a momentary release that you could get out of. And uh, some of that was driven, as we have seen, by novel things you do, something that you wouldn't do every day, something that you would engage in from time to time. You don't go to the amusement park every day, right? As all these theme parks developed, whereas leisure, I would say, is more of an ongoing thing that you want to develop, your, cultivate your skills or your knowledge and so forth, it, which is also very important. But fun gives you that opportunity to really counterweight all these other things that have put on
0: put on us yeah So keeping this in mind what would you say that brands need to do in order to make sure that the fun experiences they're creating for consumers are actually fun and not just leisure activities
1: Right. So I think for one thing, they would have to do all their can all they can to let the pressure off the consumers, right? And so some of the messages that you see, and one of the most successful marketing slogans, which has only been around for less than twenty years, is what Vegas promoted as what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So that was that was uh, 2003, I think when it first came out and that allowed psychologically consumers uh, to come to the city and say it's okay. it's okay for me to be a little bit you know transgressive, not criminally, but hopefully, but in some way you go to Ibiza uh, and do these things. And I think marketers can tap into as they attract or I guess invite. Uh, Consumers to their brands in a way to tell them that it's okay to come here and be yourself, and uh, you don't have to worry about anything—at least for the moment—and then you can go back to your important duties and meaningful things in life.
2: And another thing that is very key for brands to understand in this moment is that there will be residual meta emotions that consumers will experience when the bodily threat of COVID diminishes and meta-emotions are the feelings people experience in reaction to an emotion. For example, people might be going out and having a sense of joy when they're finally on holiday sipping that first cocktail on a beach when they're allowed to travel again. But that sense of joy might be accompanied by the meta-emotion of guilt or self-judgment. And that's because the emotional release of enjoyment has come after such a a long time where they feel it's been off off limits and people are struggling so people quite used to self-chastising so brands need to anticipate these other level of emotions and build in extra solutions to help with these meta emotions which one way of doing this is perhaps building in an altruistic aspect to their activities to help diminish any sort of consumer guilt when they are going out and having fun. And that can be done really simply. For example, the uh, London's Victoria Myro Gallery held a virtual exp- exhibition earlier this year. So beautiful VR exhibition, and some of the ticket proceeds went to a human human rights charity. So you can see how. Brands can provide that entertainment whilst also assuaging any of the guilt or the worry that comes with it. And that's where brands who are doing physical in real life events post lockdown will really need to double down on their safety procedures as well. Really make people feel secure. So as Travis says, they can feel released from everything and really hedonistically enjoy and engage with the activity at hand.
1: I don't know, just Ellie's point about this consumer guilt prompted me to think about there was a, a small paper, with, it didn't receive much attention, but a paper called Fun Morality. And around after the post-war, they were trying to push fun into, well, not push fun, but get people to realize that having fun is okay, and especially in the household, and that it's okay to have children have fun while they learn. And so there was a major push. And, it, it, and having fun was a real taboo, especially before the post-war uh, periods. And so uh, just, that just made me think about how uh, marketers and brands in particular could cultivate cultures in a way that it's okay to have fun. And I think it was an excellent point about this altruistic approach.
2: That's very neatly reminded me that there's a really lovely quote from you, Travis, in my report that says, the message that brands can give right now is not necessarily one of fun because fun is not obtainable right now, but they can project and provide the emotion of hope. How can brands communicate this sense of hope in the face of not feeling appropriate to communicate fun right at the
1: moment? I think, Yeah, I even forget what I had said before, but it sounds much better when you say it. But I think the hope that we're seeing is that, you know, it's been a long time since this whole thing happened. And I think sometimes people worry uh, that things won't get back to the same as before and which is a valid anxiety and it's it's completely you know understandable and i think what businesses and uh, brands can do is reassure them that yes it might take time but there is as we, as a, as human society or humanity, has overcome many other similar pandemics and, and all these viral diseases and, and major um, events that had had a catastrophic uh, effect on us, that there is uh, that we're still here and that um, there will be a similar or better future that would come, as we're seeing with all the technological developments that are continuing, technology is not stopping because of the pandemic. It's, in fact, going faster than ever before so i think i think consumers it's understandable but i think it's important not to lose hope especially for the smaller businesses i think having been a business owner before it can be very dejecting but i think it, i think it really requires a team effort to to go forward yeah.
2: I'd quickly love to flag a great brand example as well. that I saw in December Burger King launched a campaign called Whopper to the Future and it allowed 10,000 consumers to order a free Whopper burger via their app and it generated a QR code and that QR code can be redeemed against a burger anytime between January 2021 of this year and December the 31st, 2030, which I thought was a really lovely way of acknowledging the endless feel of the pandemic, but giving consumers this something to look forward to, even if it's just a burger. I think that was a really canny tactic of Burger King providing this hope, but in a tongue-in-cheek way. It doesn't always have to be super earnest. It can give a bit of fun and a bit of cheekiness, whilst also tapping into recent research that shows that focusing on something in the future and having something to look forward to during the pandemic really improves consumer well-being.
0: I have to say I did not expect you to say 2030 right there, so that's quite a forward-thinking uh, activation from Burger King. But looking a little bit, hopefully closer into the future, I mean, what do we think that the fun landscape might look like when the pandemic starts to come to an end? You know, what could happen when people are able to no longer feel restrained and have liberation following the dissolution of the threat of COVID-19?
1: I think the I mean the this industry that is struggling the most is the travel industry right now and when it, based on the data that had collected you know hundreds of interviews and and narratives that were written people really find a lot of fun by traveling to other cities and other countries because one you're getting away from your home your duties you're going to somewhere that is new something novel that is bounded you you set aside a time to be there and experience that moment And so I think as the pandemic dies down and, and, you know, people get vaccinated and we have herd immunity, I think one of the surges that we will see and and maybe they should be prepared for is this surge in in the travel industry. And so I think hospitality, I know they're going through a hard time. I have a lot of friends who've been, you know, either cut down on their jobs or or, or been laid off. But I think the industry that would see the the strongest spike or change would be the travel and hospitality industries.
2: Yeah, and something that... that I think everyone has seen recently that there's been so many op-eds written about how the post-pandemic decade will be a lot like the roaring 20s after the 1918 flu pandemic and that's an exciting prospect with the appeal of all the cultural, social and aesthetic developments of the 1920s. But I think it'd be very helpful to brands to cast a wider eye over consumer behavior after different pandemics and disasters and how people have reacted. And the American economist Nicholas Christakis does this. And he lays out something almost like a roadmap uh, for post-pandemic life in his book, Apollo's Arrow, The Profound and Enduring Impact of Coronavirus on the Way We Live, which published in October. And just some of the things he anticipates will be a boom in relationships as people seek community, whether that is romantic or otherwise, that has been missing during social isolation. So there may well be a big boom in dating apps and initiatives that really enable people getting together in that serendipitous way that's really been missing as everything's been so minutely planned during the the pandemic to you know prevent spread and keep people safe and another thing that he mentioned in his book that really resonates with what Travis said about travel is that in some sectors consumer spending will rise exponentially because there's been so many months of yo- low socialising. So those people who would normally spend their excess money on socialising, on travel, on fun activities like that, that as long as their income hasn't been affected by the pandemic, they'll have this nest egg of money and will be looking to spend it and um, after months of conservative spending. And things like travel and getting away from the monotony of normal life will certainly boom for those consumers.
0: I think it's so interesting that we bring up travel here. I write a lot about travel and it's been really interesting as people start to get vaccines to see some of the headlines that are coming out. So it's a really interesting stats that are talking about how older consumers are starting to book trips for coming months and they're really ready to go out there, especially people who have already retired and expected to spend their retirement traveling. They're sort of getting a head start and trying to build back up the fun that they anticipated they were gonna have. So I personally am super excited to see that develop. Now, at the end of our podcast, Travis, we finished by asking our guests three quick-fire questions. So the first one is if you had a million dollars, where would you invest it right now?
1: Wow, I wish I had a million dollars. But I think I think I would probably invest it in uh, a part of it on me so that I can use that money to have some fun as well. But probably, as, a, as many people would do equities, or you know, it's been an interesting year, to say the least, on equities and all these investments. But I guess I'll save some, but also won't be shy of spending some.
0: What's a consumer problem or challenge that you don't think has been successfully solved yet?
1: So many challenges. I'm trying to think of one. <laughs> At least for me, I think one of the things that are very difficult to solve, and it's probably not just for, for consumers, but how do we ever obtain or achieve consumer happiness or happiness in general? It's such a difficult thing. You seem like you have it one day, and then the other day it, it goes away. And I think part of my research is trying to say that there are multiple paths to this happiness, and and one should not be ignored for the other. And that they're quite all important. And and there's been a lot of research already been done on happiness, but still, it's a very elusive thing. And I think you know, at, especially for people who are. Not very happy and that are really struggling in their lives, and our emphasis and our research has mostly been on the more higher income, not so much the lower income people. It's hard to do research. as, you know businesses are not as interested in them, and so I think the challenge is how do we create a framework or environment where the things that we have studied apply to all types and all walks of life.
0: And what individuals or brands do you look for for inspiration in your work?
1: Yeah, so for me, for my particular work, the the brand that really comes to mind was when I was in college and we had uh, a guest speaker who's a manager uh, who's been with the company for a long time but who's a, a marketing manager for Barefoot Wines. And um, to give you a short story, Barefoot Wines started by these two individuals who started in their small farm or small shed. and, And they realized that all these wine brands that had existed in the market were very all serious or classic or luxury or traditional all the wine branding was very, I say, highbrow. And they said, wait a minute, how come people can't enjoy wine like they enjoy beer? And that notion, and at the time, I had no idea I would be doing a PhD in marketing, but that was really enlightening for me that, wow, we we all think of a certain category of products or brands in one way. And here come these people who say we should have some, literally their branding is have some fun and, and drink wine. Drink wine daily, not necessarily for celebratory reasons. And now they are the, you know, largest selling in terms of revenue and and numbers, the the biggest brand in wine within a few decades. And I always think of that story to remind me, you know, sometimes we shouldn't be too narrowed down in looking at how we should brand our products in certain categories. And that again, that fun is is a very important aspect of life.
0: Well, I know I'm looking forward to having that Aperol spritz on a seaside patio when this is all over. And thank you to my guests, Dr. Travis O. and Elspeth Taylor. And thank you everyone at home for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylist. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylist, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.